Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of On The Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Adi Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On today's Be Thankful for What You've Got edition of the pod, Real Madrid win La Liga at a canter, but what about the competition? Also, there's still all to play for in Serie A, where winning the Coppa Italia does not a season make if you're Inter and in the Bundesliga after losing their goal machine to the Premier League can Dortmund get their mojo back working like it used to so David we now know that Atletico have qualified for the Champions League but Real Madrid won the league by a country mile, you could argue. Although Barcelona didn't do too badly in, in the final third, as it were. But, you know, Real Madrid are making this league look easy, or at least look, making the others look far behind them. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just a, a case of where they are as a club. Um, I think they're far ahead of the uh, the other two who you mentioned. Um, I think Barcelona, you know, they've done a reset. Um, so they're still finding themselves. Atleti, I think, have got big problems and... and they are looking to regain their identity. Um, I think Real Madrid had the advantage of, you know, having that experience there. The Cruz, Cruzers, the Benzemas, the Modric's, people like that uh, who, who had been there and, and done it before. They'd had some incredible start performances throughout the season as well. I think Vinny's come on uh, a lot, Vinicius Jr. Benzema's been world-class, Courtois world-class as well. Um, and, and like I say, Modric and Cruz have just, uh, just plodded along really and, and, and just got it done for them. Um, and... 
it's quite a stark realisation for Atleti, I think, of where they are, where, you know, their big battle at the end of the season was to secure that last Champions League place, whereas Real Madrid had already had the league uh, tied up. And I think it's a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a warning for Atleti um, that they have to ship up this summer uh, or they could end up slipping further behind because Barcelona are going to make some impressive moves again as well. They're moving forward. I think they're moving in the right direction. Atleti, I think, a uh, bit much of a standstill. I mean, there are two ways of looking at it with Atletico, really, aren't they? The, the fact that it has been such a difficult season for them and it is so below par because they were the title favourites before the start of the season. And when was the last season that neither Real Madrid nor Barcelona were title favourites in, in La Liga? It felt like a step on and they weren't able to to meet that pressure. On the other hand, I think it's another reminder of like, and maybe they are reaching some point where they could do with mutually parting, but it shows how much Diego Simeone has changed the club. That the fact is they've had their worst season in recent memory and they've still qualified for the, 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 the top four. I guess the difference is because the club has changed that much in the intervening period, now it's a necessity rather than a desirable yeah, no, no, absolutely. But I also think, I think it's a bit of an indictment of how La Liga is right now. Mm. I think it's weaker than it ever has been uh, for way for quite a week. It has been for quite some time. You know, the the peak years of you know your your battles between Mourinho's Real Madrid and Guardiola's uh, Barcelona. Um, you know, Messi, Ronaldo at the top of their game. Everybody tuning in every single week to see those. Those days are long, long gone. Uh, Liga is finding itself uh, again in a way, looking for its new stars, looking for its Vinicius Junior. Uh, look, hoping that Mbappe arrives. They were probably hoping that Haaland would arrive at Barcelona. They're, they're looking at Barcelona where the next star is going to come from there. And I'm talking about top, top tier star here that you know you can sell the league on around the world. I, I love Gavi. I love Pedri and everything like that. But it'll be interesting if the Liga decide that they are going to be the, the faces that they sell the league upon. So yeah, I think the league itself is, is, in, a, is in a poor way, um, shall we say. I think the fact that just look at Sevilla as well, who who we will touch on um, as well. They're, they're allowed to tail off in the second half of the season, yet they still remain a, a top four side. Um, and you know, Betis even dropped off at one point as well, and you know, and, and focused I think all their energy on the cup. But uh, yeah, I think I think the league itself overall is in a in a in a poor way at the moment. Well, just talking about Sevilla, we do have a tweet here from JD who asked us, "What does Sevilla need to do uh, to?" Uh, move forward from being perennial Champions League qualifiers to being La Liga title contenders? What do they need to do? What's missing? It's a great question. It's the one that's always been asked over the years, you know, because they always have to take a couple of steps back. And by that, I mean they have to sell the superstar and then they have to reinvest that money and build out the squad again and then hope that that can be enough. Um, they had they they were one of the winners, I think, of the the pandemic, shall we say, because that allowed them to retain a star. I think in Jules Koundé, in an, in, an, in another year when not, none of this at all happened, what happened, um, he would have gone. They would have reinvested that and had to get a lesser model. They've had him, um, so I think this was a great opportunity for them. And I said this, I remember saying this on on this very podcast at the start of the season. I said I think this is a year that Sevilla could capitalise and, and shock a lot of people and make a serious serious title run. But I think. Their lack of ambition and negativity um, stemming through the coach, Lopetegui, has hindered them. I think there's been a lot of games then they could have, you know, they could have put the pedal down, shall we say, you know, and, and gone for teams. But I don't understand why, you know, in a position that where they were still close at the top, that they're going into games against the likes of Alaves and they had the look of a team playing for a draw. 
and they still they, they still have that look about them as well. And and, and Bet- Betty's could overtake them still. It's, you know, it's, it would take a big big change, but you know they still could. And yeah, I think they've been their own downfall, shall we say, Sylvia? Well, Lopetegui, I was going to ask, a blessing or a curse is the rest of this tweet from JD, given that he's somewhat cautious, maybe overcautious. Yeah, and I know David thinks he's he's limited. I'll, I'll let you expand on that in a bit. And I think we're seeing that at the moment. I think he's turned into a far better club coach than a lot of people thought he would. Um because after he got sacked from Spain and Real Madrid in the same year, his, his spell in charge at, at Porto was a, a huge mess. And they're only just coming out of the financial fair play difficulties that they had when he was given the reins for recruitment, which was obviously never a possibility at Sevilla with, with, with Monchi being there. Um, but it does feel like he's a, a good coach up to a certain point. You know, I don't, I, it feels to me in the, in the Emery zone, really, He's he's gonna help you be consistent and organised, but he's just not gonna get you over the top. And some of those signings that they've made this season, David, we know how smart they are in the transfer market. But having the punt on Martial for six months, which is not cheap, yeah. Um, then getting in before that, getting in Papu Gomez. These are not players. These are experienced players. They're not resale players. They're not players you buy or sign to stand pat are they so surely that represents the need to have a a mini rethink at least yeah absolutely and, and Lopetegui's tried to sell everything down and kind of say you know that they've already met their ob- objectives they were just targeting the Europa League players um and and oh they've we've managed to get Champions League and he, he's, he's really underselling it in that way I think and I think that leads into the frustration from a lot of their fans he's been jeered he's been booed um, by their fans uh, in the past few games as well, they're really frustrated with the with the football that they're seeing from him. And I really only won two of the last ten. Yeah, yeah, precisely. It's 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 quite remarkable, and um, the the downturn there from from them. And this is the thing: cost, consistency is a great great thing in Spain because you know a lot of clubs they change, uh, you know, change coaches maybe sometimes two, three, four times uh, throughout a season. So the fact that they have got a nice stable coach there. Behind the scenes, Sevilla probably is one of the most well-run, you know, functional teams um, in in Europe as well. Um, you know, has played in, played into his hands. It's been really, really good for him. So I'll be really surprised if they actually let him go. It would be very unlike Sevilla when when things aren't. It's not disastrous, but I just do have doubts. As I, I like Lepetegui as a coach, I'll say that first and foremost. But I don't know whether he's the type of coach I'd want to be in a rut with. And hoping that he changes things around, he take he he needs to turn things around. He needs to bring something new to the table. I'm a little bit unsure whether he is that type of coach. And when we talk about the uh, particularly the uh, final part of the season, Andy uh, Barcelona, should they be where they are? Uh, you mentioned that Atletico lost their opportunity to be maybe contenders for the mm. title this time around. Barcelona were coming from ninth place earlier on in the league, in the season mm. and ending in second place. So they leapfrogged over Sevilla and uh, Atletico as well. Yeah, and got to, the, got to the Champions League with a bit of comfort in the end. Yeah. I think it's quite interesting when um, you go back to the, the, the win at Betis last weekend where Jordi Alba scored that brilliant winner and seeing him being interviewed on the pitch afterwards and going, yeah, well, you know, we should be closer. We dropped a few points. We dropped more points in the in the first bit of the season and all the rest of it. I looked at him. I thought, that's not you talking. That's, that's Xavi talking. 
And his players, when they speak in the nicest possible way, even the, especially the experienced players, they sound like cult members, really, you know, echoing the, the, the thoughts of the great leader. And I, I don't think that's such a bad thing for them. I, th- I think that underlines what a good job Xavi has done mm-hmm. about how he's raised standards. Now, what I thought was interesting in the aftermath of all this, and particularly when it became clear, as we'll talk about later, that Erling Haaland was signing for Manchester City, he was like, well, we are operating under restrictions. And it's funny because he'd not talked about that for a long time, had he? Mm. He'd been, the sky's the limit. We want every player. We want to be as good as we can be and we want to do it all. And for the first time, there was a bit of a dose of realism. For the first time in a long time, there was a bit of a dose of realism from, Janu- uh, from, from Xavi because January changed everything in terms of the signings they made. And straight away, you know, people are talking about who Barcelona are going to get. They need to speculate to accumulate, get this big star in, all this sort of stuff, as, as, as David was saying. I think if you look at the game they played against Celta this week, it's quite a good example of how they've improved the team, I think. Because in the first half, Celta were the better team. But Barcelona winning 2-0 at half time because they have that extra bit of quality up front. Now, I think that's something, I, I know um, Alvaro Romero, um, Spanish editor of TalkSport, made this point. I, I think you can throw the baby out with the bathwater and like overlook what they've really got in the front half of the pitch. The problem they've got is in, in, in the back half of the pitch. Because I think you look at Araujo, who is a signing they've made as a sort of signing of convenience, really, because he's the best of what they've got defensively. Whereas a lot of what they were hoping to take them forward into the future... Eric Garcia is not good enough for what they want. Longley's not good enough for what they want. There's increasing talk in front of them about Frankie de Jong, and he's a saleable asset, so they should they sell him? I think probably they should. But Matteo Alemani is going to have to work his magic all over again this summer, right? Yeah, there's going to be, a, you know, there's been all the talk of Haaland and whether, he, whether they could, you know, find the, the money for him, but it shouldn't be the conversation they're having. They need to be looking at centre-backs. They need to be looking at defensive midfielders. Um, they need to be looking at, I think, a lot of energy in those areas as well. They look a bit slow and very plodding, I think, in those areas. Kessier will make a difference, right? Yeah, yeah, abs- absolutely. So I think they really, we really need to target those areas. And, and, and look, and following from what Andy said, Xavi has been less bullish lately about transfers. I think the club in general have as well. They were never going to be anywhere near Haaland. That, that isn't their transfer strategy now. It, it, it simply isn't that. It's free transfers. It's market opportunities. It's young players who haven't got astronomical price tags. Um, I think that's the areas that they need to be uh, looking in for players. Uh, should we talk about uh, Edge, one of these uh, clubs that uh, Atletico beat mm. um, to secure their place in the Champions League as well, amongst other things? They didn't lose badly, though, did they, to Atletico? Would you reckon? No, um, they had their moments in, in the early part of the game, but it, it felt to me like this was Atletico, who had been diminished a bit by injury and poor form going back to that before that game with Real Madrid. Um, Atletico managed it quite well. I've not always seen that from them in, in, in recent weeks and throughout much of the season. I think even if you go to the derby with Real Madrid, they did that thing that, you know, I think a lot of people will look at that and say, typical Atleti, winning 1-0 and, you know, making it, make it 
tough and doing the hard yards and all that sort of stuff. They made it way more difficult for themselves in the yeah. closing stages than they needed they, to. They always do. I think they're one of those clubs. I'd, I'd probably say, and we're going to touch on them later as well. I think Juventus do the same thing as well. Mm. They seems there seems to be a simple goal in front of them heading into a game, and my god, they managed to make it unbelievably difficult. You'd you'd think they had to turn around a four or five nil deficit. The way that they go through the motions of it all, um, and and I think that sometimes they they seem to panic or, or lose track I think uh, of the goal of what they need to do and, and they get a bit flustered and they end up doing things that they shouldn't rather than just sticking to the basic game plan and it's it's an interesting one and, and that's a lot of the reason why Atleti have kind of tailed off. Can these players stick to his game plan? Because I don't think this current set of players can do what Simeone wants them no, absolutely to not. do. That was, a spe- that was a special group, a special core group that he had that bought in. And I think everything's a bit different now. And I think Simeone gets frustrated at that. And he thinks that if he buys um, a player that, he, you know, if he buys a young midfielder, he's going to get his next Gabby. If he buys a new striker, he's going to get his, his next Diego Costa. We're talking about Elche. Uh, they've got a player called Lucas Boyer, young Argentinian, attacking midfielder, forward winger. Atleti's been strongly linked with him and you can see why he's got that intensity that aggression about him and people's like oh he's he's made for Atleti but that doesn't mean because he has those attributes that he's going to suddenly just work out and fall you know fall into place there they've had other players who've had those attributes but they just haven't worked out it's the weekend of course of the Eurovision Song Contest taking place in Turin meanwhile Juventus meet uh, Inter in Rome and well what a Coppa Italia final it was I know you're itching to talk about it already David um, classic classic yeah yeah did did did, did the leg think that he was playing for a point in this game <laughs> let me tell him it was a final it's it's just it's just outstanding and um, whenever I th- <laughs> Whenever I think that Allegri can't be more Allegri, he he, he goes and adds a new dimension to be in Allegri. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was quite remarkable. I've watched it back this morning and it's just astonishing. Again, we, we're following on from what we say about Allegri, just making you know certain simple things, seemingly simple things seem ex- extremely, extremely difficult. And there's just little things like how regressive uh, Allegri constantly is. No matter what it, no matter what the situation, he's so, so regressive. I'd say he's even more regressive than Simeone. I really, really would. I think um, Atleti get a very ba- a bad rap. It's probably because they're so high profile in terms of you know they've played English teams in the Champions League and what have you. But if people watch Atle- um, watch Juve play, it is a genuine, genuinely uh, difficult uh, task. And I think Inter um, and I think most clubs should do this. It, they completely uh, pounced upon that negativity. I think and and that that retreat. And and since uh, you've started with uh, Max Allegri, the question from uh, Lucio in on Instagram to us, um, you might want to take this, Andy. He says, where does this defeat leave Max Allegri? If you watch his uh, body language after the match, to me it seemed like, well, at least we got to the final. Well, I, I, I guess we have to use a, a, a bit of uh, imagination because... By the time we get into extra time, we get sent off, <laughs> and you've seen a lot more frustration from Allegri on the on the touchline recently. Um, we we know he's you know alpha, but to see him like lose his shit like that, like on repeated occasions, it's just a reminder that everything's not going right. It's a very public, very um, overt reminder that everything's not going right. Whereas opposite Simone and Zaghi in particular, he like keeps it all in. It's like 
a little bit more measured, I think there's a there's a big difference. And you know, I think Juventus do have quite serious structural problems. Um, that they almost got away with it because Samir Handanovic didn't have the greatest night of his life. Um, I, I think the criticism that we received for the second Juventus goal was a bit harsh because people were saying he didn't get up quickly Quick enough, enough after, yeah. after, after after saving the first the, after getting the ball in his face exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that he got yeah. up at all from that first blow of his <laughs> shot I think it was pretty Impressive. good to, to yeah. be honest it was total muscle memory um, but you know I, th- I think you you look at it and when they lose to Inter and of, of course that, that, that they've done earlier in the season as as, as well in the, in, in the league game and um, it, it, I think it hurts a bit more not just because it's the Derby d'Italia but I think Inter are where maybe Juventus feel they should be mm. you know and Juventus have the financial advantage over Inter that's clear and we still don't really know what the future holds for Inter in, in, in that sort of respect you know do they need to sell again before they, they buy this summer you know what what do they do? Can they hold on to Perisic? And can they give him another contract? All that sort of stuff. And he was brilliant in this game, by the way, of course, scoring yeah, scoring, scoring the extra time goals. And he's arguably been their best player this season. I know that's something that Nicky Bandini thinks as, as well. Kind this, of like talismanic in a way, hasn't he? How he's uh, taken on that role. It's, uh, totally. And yeah. the, the, the second goal in particular, I mean, they scored two great goals to bookend the game through Barella and, 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 and Perisic. But, it, it does feel with Inter that what what Simone Inzaghi, and I know we talked about it with Nicky a while ago, Don, you know, is this season a failure if he he, he doesn't retain the league title? Um, I, I don't know if I'd, I'd, you'd say slightly disappointing. I'm not sure you'd go as far as failure because it feels that there's a consistency of approach. It feels that there's a consistency in terms of momentum. I mean, they won the league last year for the first time in 11 years. This year, they'll win the Copper for the first time in 11 years. You know, and the Copper has become more and more prestigious in, in recent years. And I think, you know, you look at all over Europe, cup competitions now, domestic cup competitions, are won by the biggest clubs because they have those bigger squads. And it is... An objective, it's an aim, it's it's, it's a big deal. You know, silverware, isn't it? Yeah, this was Having this terrific was, Yeah, and this was in a, a, a sold out Olympico. But I think the way that Inter smashed it from the start, then totally lost the thread, and then went and salvaged it. Character and attitude, and it was it was incredible. Totally, as well as the quality. But I think that's what makes Anzaghi such a good coach. No, I think you know, I think he's probably the best coach there right now in Italy. And I think it's because he's measured. He's very balanced. He isn't too much one way or the other. I mm. think, for instance, we're talking about Allegri. I think he's too far too regressive. Um, and he's, he's, he's stuck to that. Whereas I think Inzaghi is somebody who understands, you know, what his team needs and when. But his squad's better as well, Inzaghi. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's the difference as well. I think so, yeah. You know, it, it, it's planning versus the opposite mm-hmm. of, of planning. They're mm-hmm. still dealing with that, that post-Ronaldo fallout. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a really, really... Busy summer for, for for Juventus. But given how big of a figure he was, I think Inter's caught really well with losing Lukaku. Mm. If you look, you know that's totally. that's, that's why I wouldn't deem them not winning the league as a as a, dis- a failure. No, I mean let's go back to the start of the season. Yeah. After they've lost Conte, Hakimi, 
Lukaku, I thought there's, there's no way they're retaining that is the ridic- title. You know, that's ridiculous, especially when you've got lots of, I think, lots of exciting teams. I think Fiorentina, for instance, somebody like that, you know, it was really exciting, really, really positive to watch. There's somebody who can kind of capitalise on that type of thing. Whereas, but no, no, it, it, it they Inter haven't really looked back or, or felt sorry for themselves for losing those players, I think is the best way to describe no, it. No, and I think even for them to still be in the title race, actually, at this at this point, I mean, of course, you go back to last Friday when they play Empoli at home, they're 2-0 down in double quick time, won the goals scored against them, was from a player that actually belongs to them still. And then they just, they, they just right, we're not taking this. They just come back and uh, and win the game. And I think that's the interesting thing about their season. They've had their little blips, but how they've got over that adversity, mm-hmm. have found that extra level. Yeah. I think that speaks about A, the depth of the squad, and B, the attitude. And, yeah. You know, Inzaghi, as you say, has done that very well. You know, when he said like, post-international break to Barella and Chalunolu, okay, right, I need more from you now. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to provide more. Brozovic can't do it on his own. I think they've really responded to that. I think he showed it at Lazio as well. I think that was the great. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I, I really rate him highly, Anzagi. And I think at Lazio, it was exactly the same. I, I think they were notable under his tenure by their character and their grit and their determination. And I think that's something that the coach really, really needs to feed into you. And, and they dealt with adversity as well. And we've seen Inter as well come with it well. Yeah, last time that Inter won the Coppa Italia was the last time that Juve didn't win anything at all no <laughs> trophies whatsoever it does seem as if you know they've turned things upside that, down in a that, way that must have been when del neri was in charge Gigi del neri wow which wow. is going back 11 yeah. years yeah yeah, 11 years. <laughs> yeah 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 um well we'll see what the fallout is from there i'm sure <laughs> over the uh pre-season i think yeah, there'll I, be some changes made there i, I, would I, think, have thought I think i think there will be like allegri needs help in terms of squad building. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. It still feels to me as if Juventus are a little bit one-paced. The midfield has been an issue for ages. One that the goals of Cristiano Ronaldo were able mm. to gloss over. But we say it again and again and again. Getting players to leave who are paid a fortune is bloody difficult. It's really difficult. And, you know, they'll be reunited. And I'm sure they'll be delighted to be with um, Aaron Ramsey at the end of the season. <laughs> And he's a he's the tip of that slightly slow moving midfield iceberg. You know that that's that's the issue for them really. And already, I I I don't know if I'm imagining this. This is just projection. But Vlaovic seems a little bit frustrated already. Of course, that, so. that's why he's going to be an asset to them because he's someone who is like disgusted by the thought of failure. Because he had such a buzz around him. When he came. In, yeah, around, around him. I was going to say in Fiorentina. He had the whole team working for him, grafting for him to get the ball to him. I feel like Juve, uh, like I say, they, they don't really get past the halfway line. They're still plodding around there. And they have, got a, they have they've got a big decision to make because they say, okay, do we back Allegri? Do we back him in the transfer market with what we do have? And then we know this is the football that he is going to play. Or do we break away from that and maybe take a completely different direction? That's that's the big decision. Do, do you know what puts a big smile on their faces when uh, Dybala gets his uh, black and blue pen out and signs for Inter? My word. <laughs> you never know.
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There has been some uh, black and blue pen signings over the last few days. It took some time, but we know those nice. pens. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they're classic pens, obviously, not your blue ballpoint pens. These are the ones that are going to be in the trophy cabinet. The pen that uh, Erling Haaland used designed for Man City, but left a big hole at Dortmund as a result. Obviously, if he leaves the club, there's going to be a massive hole uh, to fill there. And there are lots of questions around this issue because Dortmund have immediately gone to Red Bull Salzburg to get there where Erling Orland came from. So they've gone yeah. back uh, to the source, as it were. I would buy from here again, yeah. is what they're saying. <laughs> and I will return in the future. But is is Karim Adeyemi the answer to the gaping hole that's been left at uh, Dortmund? He's the answer to something. Um, he's not a direct Erling Haaland replacement. That's clear. That's going to be hard, though, isn't it? You know, yeah. they're never going to find. So, if there was somebody else, Erling Haaland wouldn't have been so sought after. It's, it's, it's funny though. I think the situation that Haaland comes into and the situation that Haaland leaves at Borussia Dortmund is a very two very very different ones. So when Haaland arrives, he's almost like foisted on Lucien Favre, the coach at the time. It's the club saying, not only is this a great opportunity to own a player who's going to go to the very top but he's the exact player we need and he was the exact player Dortmund needed at that time and I was like do I can't I like stick Marco Royce in there at centre centre forward like I always do or slightly withdrawn but 
this actual out-and-out striker that they needed, he was exactly the player that they they needed at the time. And I think part of the reason he hits the round granite, ground running at Dortmund is because he fulfills a need. Now, Adeyemi fulfills a different need. I mean, as well, Dortmund are not a team with one need. They're a team with several needs at the moment. And we've seen that in the, the weeks building up to this. You know, they've made mainly defensive signings. They've signed a Niklas Zula, Nico Schlotterbeck um, from Freiburg. And um, I, I think they're looking for more defensive reinforcements. They've been strongly linked with uh, Rami Bentabaini, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach as well. Now, Adeyemi is a player who I think will more... We know we know he's, he's, he's best as a centre-forward, but he's not... He's not that that Holland type of player who tends to stay in central areas. He will drift out wide. And so really, David, it's kind of like a a halfway house between getting another forward because Holland's gone and filling the Jaden Sancho space as well. Yeah, Ooh. I think I think he's more of a Sancho replacement, but with a little extra something and that extra something is one of those needs. I, th- I think Dortmund's build-up player, um, I think even when Sancho was there actually, could become very slow um, and predictable at times. Purely through how long they t- they took to build a move up. Um, Name names. Axel Witzel. Emre Can. Whereas Adeyemi is just a lightning in a bottle. And I think that is exactly what they need to, to you know, to inject something different into that team. Um, and I made this comparison before we came on. I think he's stylistically probably is the player in terms of a young player coming up most comparable to Mbappe. I think he's got a lot of traits that, that he has. And from that centre-forward role, he can provide those. But also, as Andy says, the way he drifts around as well. So he can do some creation as well. He can, he can bring others into play. Um and he, you know he forces a lot of fouls and a lot of penalties um and such as well with his trickery and the, in the way his change of pace his change of direction um and I think that's something that Dortmund have seriously lacked I don't think it's something that Daniel Mal- I, I really like Daniel Malin um but it's not something that he's provided um I think he's someone who could actually thrive off working with Adiemi as well so I think he'll benefit from yeah that. yeah yep. so I think it impacts quite a few. Um, players and and and. But well, there's still a hole though because uh, Holland leaves to Man City mm. uh, with an average of a goal a game. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's 85 incredible. Five and eighty-eight. You, you spread those. And, you spread those goals around. That's what we say. That that, that that's what I mean. I think he'll hopefully impact Marlon. So Marlon will score more, and Adi Emi will contribute as well. And then there'll be others as well who'll come in. So I think there'll be a case of spreading. Rather, rather, rather than you know one player, this big, big figure, this big, big focal point getting all the goal. Unfortunately, they're at the point where they need to evolve the way they're playing as yeah, well. Yeah. So I think that's really important. I think I'm sure I've touched on this before, but what they need to do is avoid what they did when Lewandowski left. In that, you know, they wondered how they would replace such a multifaceted player. Now, I'm not saying Holland in terms of goals is that. In terms of an all-round player. He's improved enormously since he's been at Dortmund. He's not Lewandowski level or not the level that Lewandowski was when he was leaving Dortmund. He's not leaving them in the same sort of fix. He's a great goal scorer in a largely dysfunctional team. Mm. 
and Dortmund need to start all over again. Now, that's what another reason why I think Adeyemi is interesting because Adeyemi comes along with Zula and Schlotterbeck, German players in their 20s that are going to represent the future of the, the national team. And that, I think, is something very, very interesting for Dortmund in that they need an idea, they need a philosophy, they need a collective, and it feels playing-wise they've, they've lacked that this season and, and, and for a while. So, I mean, the, the whole Holland situation is, is, is weird because obviously he's this global phenomenon, but it has kind of felt like he's been lent to Dortmund rather than he ever really belonged there. Because from the minute he arrived, you knew it was a transient step to get to the next place because we knew there was a buyout clause. Okay, they never confirmed it. They never denied it either, which said a lot. Everyone knew it was there and that it was going to be below market well, value. Man, man City knew it was there. <laughs> they certainly did. I wonder how they could have found out. <laughs> but I think... I think he's he's regarded with a great deal of admiration at Dortmund, but also with, I suppose, a little bit like Lewandowski, relatively little affection because there was that feeling that he, from, from day one, that he wasn't going to be there forever. So he did well out of them and they did well out of him. But I, I, I do think that th- there was just this, of course, they won 3-1 at Kreuterfurt last weekend to make absolutely sure of second place. And you saw on the pitch afterwards, Marco Rosa like, jumping up and down and like pumping his fists. And like a lot of people are looking at him and thinking, this has been quite a shit season. What are you doing? You know, second place and a quite fortunate second place because if Leipzig had started the season with Domenico Tedesco, then maybe Dortmund don't get that second place because they've been so much better than them. In 2022 but there, there, there was I think a sense of relief there in the sense of right we've got this lockdown now we can sell Holland we can complete the signing of Adeyemi we can get the hell on with rebuilding this team which we really really need to do so this is really the start of something totally new for for Dortmund and even if Erling Haaland wasn't at this point he was in his career and, you know, he, he didn't really want to make this move to the Premier League right now. I think it would be quite difficult to convince him to stay. It's like trying to get Harden to stay at the Rockets, right? Exactly. Well, before you go <laughs> into that other discipline... Maybe, maybe not quite. <laughs> before you go over the Atlantic to the wrong discipline, let me just... Apologies. Uh, <laughs> no, it's no need to apologise. Always right. put I don't a smile it. on my face. I know you don't. I know you don't. <laughs> this tweet from Ordka, though, mentions the one name you didn't mention there. Assuming he doesn't leave this summer and does leave next, where do you see Jude Bellingham moving to next? Um, he's given a few options here. Move back to the Premier League, uh, or joining the Javilution, sorry, at Barca, as he calls it. Ordka has played a blinder there. That is a great word. Javilution, I think yeah, we'll use that again. And Or adding some steel, you see what he's doing here, uh, to the PSG midfield. Um, personally, I think, I've thought this for quite a while, actually. I could see him going to Liverpool. I think once Jordan Henderson moves on, there's. I think there's a, you know... Yeah, Thiago's been sensational, don't get me wrong, but you know, you just never know with injuries with him. And also he's you know, he's getting a bit older now as well. So I think there's a, a point there where Klopp will look at things, he's just signed a new contract. How do we 
now move on from a you know a certain group of players that we have. I think Bellingham's somebody that Liverpool will need to look at, especially if say if Chelsea are going to pick up Declan Rice, Man City are picking up Haaland. You know, I think Man City will be interested in Bellingham as well. Don't get me wrong, but I think Liverpool suits him really, really nicely. And I think he's a player who's a future club and country captain. Bellingham, I, I rate that, I rate, I rate that highly. I think, I think he's probably the most. I'd even and and look, I'm happy to take flack for this and everything. I think he's a bigger talent than say people like Foden and such like that. I think he's genuinely top top draw. Those are big words, mate. I'm a big fan of Foden. So big, big words. Might so come am I. Back to so am I. I, I, I really yeah. like him as well. I just think Bellingham's very, very special. This is ever so confrontational <laughs> for, the, for the home straight of the podcast. I'm enjoying it. A reminder that you can tweet us at any time during the course of the week at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adebayo, at Andy Brassel, and at David Jacker. That's J-A-C-A. So we've got a few questions for you from listeners. Uh, this tweet is from Tincam, uh, T-N-C-A-M. Tell us about Union Saint-Gilloise and the end of a dream following a defeat in Blues yesterday. Oh, this is heartbreaking. They've lost twice to, to Club Brugge in the, in, the, um, in, in the playoffs. I tend to think if the Belgian league was an inverted commas normal league where you have a set amount of games and the person, the team who gets the most points at the end wins, I think it would have been easier for them to close out. I think it's just that extra layer of pressure that has been added by the playoff system. Of course, they were. it took a bit of momentum out of them, I think, at the end of the regular season going into this. And Brugge, who are you know, champions and champions a couple of times recently, used to Champions League games against the very biggest teams and they've you know made it difficult for, sporadically for the likes of Paris Saint-Germain and, and, and Real Madrid that they've been ha- able to handle this situation better. Union have had an amazing, amazing season. You know, for a promoted club to get within hair's breadth of, of winning the league, it's, you know, it's unprecedented in the modern world, especially like, you know, a traditional club that has quite a sort of old school stadium. I mean, it holds like 9,000 people. It's, 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 it's remarkable. And, um, Hopefully, we'll be hearing more from and seeing more of them next season. It doesn't feel to me like Anderlecht or Standard Liège are ready to get up there and challenge unless massive things change this summer. So Union, who are going to lose a few players this summer, there's no doubt about that. I'm hopeful that they come back and have another go next season. But it, it would have been an incredible, incredible story. And apologies for me not knowing the difference between Bruges and Brugge. Well, you know, both languages. <laughs> Neither's wrong. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, good man, John Instagram says, in your opinion, which European league has been the most entertaining this season? David, do you want to have a stab at that one first? <sighs> Come to you as well, Andy. It's very, very difficult. Um... Serie A, hands down. I said I'd come to you in a moment. <laughs> you couldn't wait. Well, I, I, was, I was just feeling my David had a think. Because it's so obvious. Um, no, I think Andy's right. I think it's been Syria. Yeah, Why? Generally. Why? I think a lot of really good storylines there. I think in terms of the quality across the board as well, in, t- in, in terms of 
team sizing up to another team in, in a game, I think it's always it, it, it's never been obvious or oh, that that team's going to win that game. You know, that team's going to win quite easily. So I think it's been entertained from that point. And I think competitivity is the height of entertainment. And I think that's where it has been. And we still don't know who's going to win the league at this stage. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. It's not quite anybody's, but it's one of two, I would have thought. Um, Andy, do you want to add anything to that? Because I was so rude as to bat you back. <laughs> great, great title race, as David said. Great storylines. Wound it back with some of the old coaches as well mm. for a bit of nostalgia. Yeah, I've loved it. I've loved it. I don't want it to end. Well, a decent copper Italia, as we've already said as well. Exactly. So, time to ask each of you to nominate a game of the week for us to peruse with a food pairing. Although, David, we, you, you wanted to go off-piece with the food pairing, didn't you, because of one of our listeners' suggestions? Yeah, there was a great question. They said, with your game of the week this week, could you select some food that wouldn't necessarily be involved in a game of the week? So, you know, we're going to... Wow, controversial. Yeah, no, I, I, I like it, though. I like it. I think it's a really good Food idea. from a league that we would yeah, normally talk about. So no, no Italian food, no Spanish food, obviously no German food because they don't have any food anyway. So, so basically... I'm not, not, well, not going to do that again. Let's not do that. No. <laughs> it's not worth the hate mail. So, so we're, we're, t- we're talking about Serie A with a Melton Mowbray pork pie. Oh, no, because, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you want it, I mean, well, I, gone, I don't, I don't want oh, right, I'd okay. have gone for Serie A with a Swedish knäcke bröd and, oh, um, oh. well, crisp bread, knäcke bröd, you know, that has that noise, knäcke. All right, I, I was going to go, so I'm basically, I'll, I'll say my game first. My game is 5.30 on Sunday, and that's Atletico versus Sevilla. Um, there's, you know, there's still a little bit to play for in terms of who gets that third Champions League spot. Is that the thriller in Sevilla? Yeah, the thriller in Sevilla. Okay. And uh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we're not going to have paella or, you know, or any form of tapas at all with that. I think we're going to go past with some North African cuisine. Oh, which, yeah. Which for me is, is top three. Okay. Top three cuisine. I think it's... I like it. And there's so many different things you can choose from in terms of your breads, your dishes and, and such like that. And couscous with everything. Oh, couscous with everything, bread with everything, dips with everything, bit of tabouleh here, you know, baba ganoush here, here and there. So things like that, yeah, just a lot of dips. A, a nice cold mezze, I think, with uh, with that game. I, I know we're coming away from the spirit of the question, but I mean, Liga has got to be a pairing for that, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why not? A lot of Why great not? North African food while it's in France. I, I am not going to France. I'm going to Germany because, of course, it is the last day of the Bundesliga season. That, so they all kick off at 2.30 on Saturday afternoon. Dortmund versus Hertha. Um, Dortmund, as we said, already... Uh, made sure of second place. Hertha need to win, really, because Stuttgart, who are their current um, rivals for a a, a playoff spot, or they both want to avoid the relegation playoff spot that plays third top in the um, Bundesliga Zwei, which at the moment looks like being Hamburg. So we're talking about an absolute mega, you know, staying up, going down playoff between either... Hertha Hamburg or Hamburg Stuttgart, that would that would be fantastic. We've got Stuttgart at home to Cologne, and Cologne could still finish in an automatic Europa League place, depending on how they get on if they if, if they win. But they're they're definitely going to be in some form of European competition. And basically, because of the difference in goals, if Stuttgart beat Cologne, it means that Hertha have to win at Dortmund, which I know Dortmund have already secured second place, but it's not a given. You know, Dortmund 
you've no idea what team is going to turn up. You know, they could be relaxed, play really well, win four or five nil. They could be completely rubbish, defend awfully and lose four nil. I think that is the beauty of of this game and the fact That's that the jeopardy the Fe- Felix Magat in which what he will hope funnily enough is his last game of Hertha because he doesn't want to be in the playoffs he wants to be just completely safe and he's leaving at the end of the season he's already been a bit annoyed with um, Bayern of course for going off to Ibiza before they played Stuttgart last <laughs> weekend and he's every bloody right to be quite frankly so um, he will be hoping that natural justice is served here Talking of being served, what are you going to serve up with this? Well, that you, isn't from Germany. That, that that is the thing. I mean, when when I was a child, getting ready for the football on Saturday afternoon, it was always uh, cheese and beans toasties. Now, I I would make them for someone else. I wouldn't eat them myself nowadays, mainly because I don't have dairy. Um, but I tell you what, a toasted sandwich in the pan with some Spanish ham, rather than in a toasted sandwich maker, with um, some good bread, some Spanish ham, I think that is the flavour. Do you still use toasted sandwich makers? No, not for me. Well, because you said rather than, and who would do it nowadays? This is the 21st century. People don't do that anymore. Do they not? Toasted sandwich makers. No, nobody like to get them like the little triangles, the like the crimp sides. Yeah. No, they don't exist anymore. Don't they either. don't. They'll just stuck them under the grill. You see, I'm a non-bread eater, so I don't really know about this. But um, you know, I'm thinking of the greater good. Football Ramble presents is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.